And he read about the evil of drinking, so he gave up reading. <laughs> the theme of our conference is running to win the prize. Has to do with transportation. People came a long way to come to this meeting. Many of you came by air. It struck me on the flights from California last week. Did you ever notice that when a plane takes off, the pilot goes way to the end of the runway, his tailpipe is practically scratching the barrier at the end. He takes advantage of the entire runway. I wonder if we always do that in running our schools and teaching our classes, or whether we don't try to make the school fly from the middle of the runway. Margaret and I were in Siberia not long ago seeing an eclipse. And the last world, the last uh, airline in the world you would have flown is Aeroflot, the largest airline on Earth. But once you get inside, the fun is over. We were flying from Amst to Bratz, and that's the truth, from Bratz is not too far from Minsk, and from Irkutsk. And the pilot came in for a landing. There are no announcements, no nothing. The plane comes down, it takes off. Nobody says anything about seatbelts. He put the full flaps out. We came to a screeching halt. And the person next to me said, wow, that is the shortest runway I ever saw. I told him, yes, but look how wide it is. <laughs> Wonder if we're trying to fly some of our Lutheran schools onto the width of the runway rather than the length of it. Pastor Fink and I were just talking a moment ago about the relationship between religion and the rest of the curriculum. And I'd like to share an experience with you that I had at Stanford University last month. We were there by invitation of the U.S. government and American tax dollars, a group of a hundred of us from around the country, high school and college physics people, who had been selected to go around the world to see the largest particle physics facilities on Earth. You may have read or heard that President Reagan in his State of the Union address said we're giving the go-ahead to a six billion dollar atom smasher, 52 miles long, all for the purpose of colliding two streams of protons head-on to see what they're made of. And when we were welcomed to Stanford and to the linear accelerator there, Dr. Burton Richter, the director of the facility, in his remarks was said, that when people asked him, why are we spending $6 billion on smashing protons into protons, his answer was, because we scientists believe that God would not be so wasteful as to make the universe out of a hundred or two hundred different particles. We want to find out how did God put the atom together. And I suggest to you this evening, that if we're going to teach our students the truth, we're going to tell them the kinds of things that Bertrand Richter is telling the scientists of the world, that we're after the secrets of creation by an almighty God. 
And to leave God out of your subject is not to teach them the truth. I wouldn't want to teach in a school where I cannot tell them, the students, the relationship between that discipline and my faith. I often get asked at physics seminars, what is a Lutheran teacher doing on the final page of a physics textbook? What is Christian physics? And the answer is, physics and mathematics and English and what have you is simply physics and math taught by a Christian. Thank God we have the academic freedom in our Lutheran schools to tell our students what Bert Richter and other people say about science and about their specific discipline. More later.
Yes, it is. That's why I quit. We're not very quiet. That's the best way, not saying what is the I guess, you're right. Did you put sugar in? No, I just gave you the yeah, I'm not the main speaker. Yes, I know. What was your first name, John? Um, gosh, I didn't know he had a first name. Yeah, I think it got quiet. Just came Keep the main speaker for right to be announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't mind, Mr. Baker. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. It's very difficult for me to introduce Dr. Bainey because his grandfather was Dr. Birger. You didn't say Birger, you said Birger. Dr. Birger in the scene of Wisconsin, almost single-handedly, started the high school that I talked about using on. <laughs> I'm not saying that Dr. Berger had a great deal of power or was blessed from on high, but when he raised his hands, the water parted. <laughs> and no one made much of any kind of a joke in front of Dr. Berger, like his grandchildren, right? <laughs> I did learn from Dr. Berger that Pastor Bainsey was a Boy Scout until he was 17, and then he scouted girls. <laughs> but he's a pastor now, and also recently I understand that he had trouble with his choir one Sunday because in the church bulletin he put the following announcement. Our choir is singing in Chicago today, and you will be able to hear it on the radio. It will be wonderful to listen to them and realize that they are more than a thousand miles away. <laughs> Dr. David Bankey. Things were right, some things bad about Bainsey for me. 
serious with you. He is always appropriate. Near my project, and so I forgot. First time I came here, as a matter of fact, was to have breakfast with a representative from the AAL. We were trying to uh, release some money from the coffers that the Nehemiah Times, which didn't work out. But when we got done with our breakfast and uh, received the tab, as Bob said before, we had three of us there for breakfast, and, and we had more than eight. We actually had coffee too. So the, the, the total tab was sixty bucks for three people for breakfast, and that was the first time I understood how important it is to know that the AAL is a fraternal organization and is not allowed to keep any of those profits. So we slowly move that check over. <laughs> Well, you have come here to this important place to talk about Lutheran high schools and curriculum development, to talk about running to win the prize when you know that his name is Jesus. You have come in these next few days to talk about our little Twinkling Starship Enterprises of secondary education, two or three or four million dollars a year in budgets, whatever your budget happens to be. And we sit here in the shadow of the towering world centers of wealth for arbitragers and merging corporations with budgets larger than your whole state budget every day. Are you worthy of this exalted locale? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Are Lutherans involved in secondary education, Lutheran leaders in secondary education, worth listening to? I don't see any TV cameras here tonight, we asked, they didn't show. Tom Brokaw, Willard Scott even. Uh, New York Times is not here. Maybe there's a stringer here from the witness report. <laughs> so are we worthy of this locale? If you say no, then let's pack it up and go to White Castle. Let's head to the budget bill out by LaGuardia. We'll see what we can find. But I say to you tonight, not so fast. There is enough power and potential power assembled here, truly, in my opinion, to influence the course of a nation. I'm always so impressed when visitors come, uh, as so many have to tour Brooklyn and tour this area, about the, the, the assembling of truly committed and dedicated Christians that you represent here tonight. That is a powerful group. When eight, eight bands unpacked over there in Brownsville, that was a powerful group of people that got out of those bands. People who have the ability certainly to influence a church body. And most assuredly, by the grace of God, to influence the hearts and minds of thousands and thousands of young people. There's a wisdom in this room tonight that is worth more than everything that's shaken over there at Wall Street, no matter what the Dow Jones actually says. How do I know that? I know it for a fact. I know it also because I've been here one other time. About eight months ago, we came here and we had three buses from uh, Brooklyn. East Brooklyn churches, where we, where we work today, on church group. And we got off those buses 50 at a time, and mostly black and Spanish folks, all dressed up looking like going to a church picnic. And we came across the main square there, and there was the guy at the door here on the other side, uh, the doorman with his epaulets looking like he just lost a coup or something. And the doorman looked at our group coming to that door, and he said, the observation deck is that way. <laughs> he thought we were touristas just coming to visit. And one of our leaders walked up and said, no, we're here to meet with the governor. Uh, we're here to see Mayor Koch. We're here to be with the Chancellor of Schools in New York City. 
Uh, we're here to hold a press conference with the president of the city university system. Uh, we're here with the three CEOs of uh, Chase Manhattan Manufacturers Hanover and Citibank this morning. And uh, boy, those doors swing open and hurt. Yes, and did those cameras were that morning, and did those scribes begin to inscribe in the next morning was on the front page of the New York Times. Why? How did we get into this place of power and accomplish that kind of business? What was our business? What made us so important? The ironic truth about that meeting, that press conference, was that it had to do with high school education. We had come here to announce that we had a plan of 1,000 jobs for high school graduates by the grace of God, provided through the strength of the churches. God's people about the Father's business. And we must all be about that business as you are. And you have such a big advantage, from my perspective at least. I tallied up uh, in the last few days all of the institutions and structures that we had to take on to get to this point with this job program in our five public high schools in our area over there in Brooklyn. We had to take on, in, in all of their splendor, with all of their uh, surrounding aides and such, the governor, the mayor, the borough president, very tough enough, the assemblyman, the councilman, the board of estimate of the city of New York, the board of elections of the city of New York, the school chancellor's office, the chairman of the board of education of the city of New York, five high school principals, uh, the dropout counselors of all those schools, the guidance counselors of all those schools, the United Federation of Teachers, a very potent union, 10,000 high school students, the State Banking Commission, and the executives, in fact, totals of three to five banks, the New York Times, the New York Daily News, Newsday, the Post, Channel 247911, and 41 in <laughs> That's what we had to take out. Why? To eke out a thousand jobs for our graduates, to leverage a combination and a working relationship between the public and the private sector? No. Those would not be working of what we really want. What we really want to do is to blow up and entrench educational bureaucracy, an unservicing, service-oriented system of teaching and learning in which 75% of the kids that go to our high schools drop out before they finish. And what we wanted to do inch by inch is to move the schools to stress basic relational education. You know, where the teachers relate to the students, where there's respect between student and teacher, where there's initiative in learning, where there's an atmosphere that's conducive to good learning, nurturing. And what's interesting to me about that tonight, and all those systems, and all that stuff, two years' worth, is that to get them maybe to move a little bit toward that goal, is that's what you're already doing. Every day. All over the country. The question tonight should be, where is the media? And why aren't there more of you? Why aren't there more of Lutheran High School? Why isn't there more of this tremendously creative and tremendously exciting endeavor going on around the country? My analysis is quite simple. What you do, you do well. Thanks be to God. And there's a crying need for what you do and what you stand for in our church and in our society. I'm not just talking about the SAT scores and about the percentage of college uh, entrance and the state-of-the-art curricula 
the nuts and bolts that, that I know you do so well. I'm also talking about the priceless treasure, the Lord's life, the one who makes the difference to each one of us every day. The prize beyond, beneath, and above every prize that we have. The focus of all of our energy. Because I can tell you, and you know so well, that there are pressures out there that are relentless against what we're doing. They are the pressures of culture, and we can dare to use the word secular culture. Not just the junk stuff, not just the weird stuff, and if you haven't seen Greenwich Village yet, that's my way of saying go over there and check that out. Uh, you have to see Tower Records to appreciate those who are different. Uh, when you go to down to the village, people with a different point of view on life. But I'm talking about what's beneath and beyond the just the video culture that our kids get caught up in. The drive for things and basic pleasures as the measure of man and the measure of satisfaction, self-aggrandizement and self-worth campaigns which pound at us from TV that said you should be in love with yourself and you deserve a break today, all the way to the top professional levels of guidance in the powers of academia. These things are relentless. The way I see it in my kids, in my community, is this. They're getting picked off. They're dropping out. They're hurting bad. They're losing the weight. And you can say, well, that, that, that boy got, got lost on crack, cocaine. That girl got pregnant. She just let her head get away from her and got pregnant. She'll have to go for the GED. That one over there got involved with violence. He always carries a knife. He shouldn't have done that. That one there has big family problems, and that's what took care of his situation. <coughs> but beneath that is the question, why? Because, and the answer is that what's being taught on the streets and on TV and in the home and in the school is a way that is apart from the way. It is an illusory way, filled with illusions that will not last. And our churches are streetcars street named Desire for the Truth. We try to cart those kids back on the road and down the path. And no matter how strong our desire, we're often way too late. As relentless as those pressures are, as tragic as the results can be, whether you succeed, by the way, or whether you fail, because my, if a child drops out of the system and has no value base, that's a tragedy. If a child continues with a value system that has no base and succeeds inside of it, somewhere down the line there's illusion that's going to catch up with them there. Either way, the results are tragic. That's just as re relentless as that is. That's as relentless and passionate as you must be. And how courageous you must be in joining the battle. You have to be able to strip away the illusion, put it very uh, graphically to you tonight, you have to be able to strip away the illusion of power that these twin towers give to the world. These twin towers give to the world. And when you come into this skyline from Brooklyn or Jersey, you see them there. They're not going anywhere. They give the illusion of stability and splendor and raw power. And they bring to mind Matthew 4 and Jesus on the highest point, looking out and the devil said, all of this can be yours. I've had meetings up there on the 63rd floor with the Port Authority. And when you get out there and look out from, from up top there, you say, all this is mine. You begin, <laughs> you begin to get grandiose visions. And you begin to think it all. Go up the windows on the world and have a drink. And if it's not raining, uh, you can see down to the bottom, you're going to get those same visions. 
And at that point, you have to realize that that's all illusion. That we have to be able to say that, that kingdom is not all there is. There's a kingdom far brighter and far grander, and you have to mean visit business and do it with authentic security. <coughs> and so tonight, I'd like to suggest to you three ways of getting about that task. Three ways to be passionate. I'd rather use passionate than relentless, because passion is a word that, that brings to mind both the pain and the pleasure of total commitment. Passion. We need to have passion in what we do as Lutheran educators. Passion, first of all, in organizing behind love. Passion in prizing the prize. And passion in prayer. First of all, passion in organizing behind love. The other night, my janitor, ex-janitor, came in. He reminded me, well, I didn't fire him, if he could. Uh, he came in and he, he, he reminded me of many of you in that he was bringing with him the, the thing that seems to me that so many, the principles that stick out in my mind had this same thing in common with the janitor. It's this big ring of keys, enormous ring of keys. And some of you maybe are those, my wife likes this especially, the ones that snap back. Where you have the thing on the end, you can roll those out there and they snap back into it. Uh, you know those keys. There's, a, there's something about keys, that, that there's a sign of power there. And he came back with his keys and he was, he was telling me how, how, how he really felt badly about not being able to be the janitor anymore. How when he walked in and he was the janitor, he would look at the room and he'd look all around it and he'd say, this is mine, I've got to do something with this. There's a little spot over there. Those chairs aren't in the right place. This has to be fixed. This has to be moved. Something's got to happen here. He began to organize the building, see? because of his commitment to it. He said, I really miss that. I really miss that thing. And it reminded me of principles in the same way. You have so many keys, and you got all the A keys, the master keys. Those were the biggies in Martin Luther. That A key, the master key that would get you into a whole level. You, know? uh, you have those keys. The symbols of access, the symbols of power, and the symbols of absolute overextension. Because you have a key to everything, don't you? You have the key to be a supervisor. You have the key that gets you in the room where you make the business deals to buy the textbooks. You have the key that gets you in the cook kitchen where you can do some cooking. You have the key that gets you in the boiler room where you can help repair that thing. The key that gets you into the counseling area where you can do a lot of counseling. Meeting rooms where you can strategize with your, your uh, department chairs. The other room, the board room, where you can wrestle with the alligators. The scheduling area where you can do all that hard work and that detail. The room where they ring the bells. Rooms where they push the paper. You've got keys to all those cubicles. All that organizing is under you. And I know Bob was telling me before just to say, that's a lot of detail. And you need to support one another. And you need to be organizing that in a way that is productive and doesn't absolutely sap your strength. How do you do it? Why do you do it? Let's ask that question first of all. You do it, I suppose, for the same reason that Reuben, my janitor, did his thing. And that is that when he came into that building and he told me this, he said, when I walked into the church and I was a janitor, I felt it was my home. I wanted to treat it just like my home. And I'm going to believe that almost all of you here as, as administrative educators, when you walk into that building, you feel the same way about it. And you feel the same way about the people in there. It's your home and it's your family. And your spouses suffer from it, I'm sure, a lot. But the reality is that you sweat blood. 
for the sake of that home. You organize your life around that thing because it means so much to you. How do you do it? Well, you, I'm sure you're of the contemporary mode. You get all the charts and all the graphs and all the flow charts and the job descriptions and the planning committees and you run all those sessions. I'm no good at that stuff, so I was talking about it. And where does it still come from? It still comes from in here. And it still comes from down here. It still comes from instinct when you're doing it best. The ability to suspend judgment and take the whole thing apart and put it back together again on the basis of what's needed, on the basis of what's right. I don't know what your chart looks like, your flow chart, your hierarchical chart at your school. We did one in the uh, East Brooklyn churches. We had a retreat this week. We tried to make a graph of what our organization looked like, you know, a visual aid. And because it's such a weird one, uh, because of the way things happen in there, finally the graph that came out was, uh, you know what a slinky is? <laughs> yeah. It's like a spiral that kind of keeps moving back and forth like this, and you go in and out like this. We said, it's like a slinky our organization. It's always some energy going back, energy going forth. People are somewhere on the spiral and this and that. And then somebody said, no, no, that's not good enough. There's got to be something in the middle. There's something at the core. And then we came up with the image of a washing machine, one of those old ones, you know, which had in the middle of it the agitator. And the agitator was what was at the center, and the agitator produced all this expansion and contraction in and out. We said, that's our model. That's what our organization is like. And at the center of that agitation is Jesus Christ. He who always agitates us to do better. He who always agitates us to, to, to keep things focused anew. He who always agitates us to look at all the options and the opportunities. We agitate toward Jesus and we agitate around Jesus. And I'd like to suggest that to you tonight, whatever your model is that you've made. Uh, it's, so, it's so deeply embedded in me after all these years, to continue to agitate things but around Jesus Christ. And as that happens, the rest of those systems and the structures, internal and external, begin to shake as well. And they begin to shake a little bit differently. And the Lord Jesus gets the glory and the praise. And secondly, we need to be passionate in our pursuit of Christ, our Lord Jesus. And the reason for that is because he was passionate in pursuing you on all the roads and the lanes in which we wander. Those of us who wander off the track, and we all do, running us down in the bushes, where we've all wandered, our Lord Jesus was passionate to pursue us and to bring us back and to win us back. He's passionate unto death, passionate into life, passionate in offering you each day the strength, every drop of strength that you need. The word, sacrament and fellowship in your school so that you can concentrate on providing candidates for college, for work, or for whatever. Not who are bound and tied by phony ideas and ideals. Not kids who go out saying, I am worthy, I am great, I really made it, I did it all. But kids who instead go out saying, Thou art worthy, O Lamb, unto the Lamb who gives the promise. You know, tonight I was thinking about these powers out here and about the real prize, which is Jesus. And uh, I, I don't get a chance to sing the old chorales much where we are because we have to do gospel songs on Sunday and Spanish coritos. But, but uh, I love the old German chorales. And uh, the one that stuck in my mind, think about these words as you're sitting in, in front of those towers for the next three days. Thee will I love, my strength, my power. 
Thee will I love, my hope, my joy. Thee will I love with all my power. With ardor time shall ne'er destroy. Thee will I love, O light divine, so long as life is mine. Now that's a power worth holding on to. That's a power worth looking up to. That's a power of strength for you and me. Talking about teaching and asking to be good teachers and leaders. Verse 5 says, Oh, teach me, Lord, to love thee truly, soul, and listen to this, soul and body, head and heart. And grant me grace that I may duly practice for ere love's sacred art. Grant that my every thought may be directed there to thee. Those words really reach me. And I think they reach you as well. And I prize that centrality, that Christocentrality in our high schools. The opportunity to proclaim the priceless treasure. And I gotta say that my belief is, and I've stated this to several people during the day, that this you are on the cutting edge of what's happening in the Lutheran Church and in the Missouri Center. You are not you do not have any cushion. Life is coming at you. When it comes to diversity, you've got diversity in your classrooms. You're not the old Germanic group. When it comes to evangelism opportunities, they are just right there in our high schools. And the Missouri Synod and Lutheran should be looking at, at our high schools for models, for advice, as well as to give help and counsel where it's needed. You know, we don't want to be, I don't think, educational Hessians, the last remnant of the German system, providing our services for hire to the working classes as they battle their way up. That's not what we're about here. What we're about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have something to give to that. You know something about ecumenical relations, not from the outside, but from the inside. You have students of other traditions and other denominations and other faiths, and no faith at all, not outside the doors, but in your classrooms. And you have a lesson to teach us about how to carry on ecumenical relationships on a day-to-day -day basis. You know about the stress and the strain that's being put on, on professional educators, upon fall teachers, upon commission teachers, because you feel that stress all the time, and I'm sure you wrestle with it as leaders. You're not insulated. You're forced to interact with all kinds of structures in public and private realm. You're vulnerable. You're marginal to the church in that sense, aren't you? Because you're in association. You're in association with other churches who may or may not give you the trickle-down bucks you need. And you have to keep geeking out and determining what your identity is as secondary and secondary education. It's a tough place to be. I know when I was in the middle of that melting pot as a teacher the first year, of course, we all have our first-year horror stories. Uh, I, I used to take a two-hour bath every day. I get home and, and get in the tub. She knows this. Two hours and just let that whole thing soak out. I had never been immersed in such an intense experience as you go through from the, when that bell rings to when that last bell rings. That is six hours of intense activity. And every night about six o'clock, we could whistle goodbye to the lake. I'm in the bathtub. Uh, I'm happy to be there. You're on that cutting edge where the energy can drain away in that way, where it's tough. Some people call you foolish for doing it. I was with a friend of mine in the urban area, they're a priest, and he said, what we have is called Nadan Freiheit, the freedom of the fool. He said, because people come in to you and they say, anybody stupid enough to live and work here, let them alone. Let them say what's ever on their mind. Give them their day in court. 
And he said, that's the way some people want to treat you. I said, well, that's not the way I feel, but it's the way some people perceive you too. And you have that challenge and you have that opportunity to do that effectively, to be leaders for our church, to, to forge a new path for us. And, and we're going to say to you, we depend on you to lead us to a shining future. I hope we don't say that. Sometimes we do, but God help us if we do. We depend on Jesus to lead you where he will lead you. Where will that be? I know it's an upward call. I know there's a direction there that takes you always where the Lord wants you to go. I know there's a power there that transforms heart by heart and has the ability to transform a society and a nation and a church body. I know there are relationships and that relationship is one which ennobles and inspires every interaction that you're going to have as a teacher or as an administrator. I know that it doesn't always happen and only happen in chapel. It doesn't only happen in your religion classes. It happens wherever you meet people. It happens in the, in the, on the basketball court. It happens when the parents pick up the kids. It happens when you're doing zoo or lunch duty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little slip from the old days uh, <laughs> happens around the lockers what matters is that it happens that at that time you have a word from the Lord to deliver last summer we were out with our church uh, high school softball team we went up to uh, park and, and uh, picked up a game with some of the local tough guys uh, it's all there are up there so <laughs> it's local it's tough uh, so we got into the game and after about two innings as, as you could expect, it was about an even game, and some kid from the other team came in, slid in the home, and had a tremendous dispute about the call. You're out, you say, and let out with a streak of language such as even even I, sailor that I am, had to blush at him. And a tremendous uh, cacophony of language. And one of our girls, who happened to be watching the game, high school girl, said, we don't talk like that here. I'm sorry, we don't allow that kind of language. And the kid, this is a tough kid, this is a street kid. He just started to laugh and laugh. He said, hey, did you hear that? And he started in on another one. And then the catcher stood up. And he stood right in his face and said, she's right. We don't talk like that. And then some of the other kids just came in. He stood right around him, very quietly, and said, we don't talk like that. And that kid just straightened up, turned around, shut his mouth, and looked at us, and walked back to the bench. And he came out to me the next inning at first base. I'm kind of first base as an old man. And uh, he said, are you guys religious or something? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you might say that, yeah. He said, he said, you know, that's okay. That's okay. And right there is where the rubber hits the road. And you know where it hits the road in your school, in your hallways, in your, in your meetings with your staff, in all those areas. You have a word and a witness and a direction to offer your schools, to offer us, to offer those in all kinds of leadership positions around the Lutheran Church, and you will be blessed on the margin as you are, as you are passionate in prizing the prize, which is Jesus Christ. The final thing I'd like to say tonight has to do with being passionate in radical prayer. See, in life, the way it works is this. If you love the Lord, and you're, you're seeking to love those out there, your people, and those in here yourself. You've got to be involved in prayer. 
serious, sensitive, continual prayer. Our schools should be prayer centers. They don't allow school, they don't allow prayer in public schools. Where do they allow it? In our schools. It's allowed. We're allowed to pray. This is where we do prayer, and this is what happens, we should be able to say, when people pray, when students, faculty, administrators pray together. When they bring the TV cameras in, they say, what happens when you pray? What are they going to see? They probably won't see Wally and the Beaver walking out singing a school song. That doesn't happen anymore. But hopefully what they'll see and what they'll say is see how they love one another. If you're praying in serious hymns. And when they see that, that's what the New Testament church was all about. That's how this whole thing burgeoned and grew in all of its diversity in the second and third century. People went out and said, see how they love one another. And they began to ask why. I'm not sure how well we do in our school of prayer, where it's not only tolerated and not only permitted, but mandated, I'm sure. If this is important and you want to guide those out there and you want some guidance for yourself, then your prayer priority. And if you want to be strong and if you want to be healed and if, and if all the details and all the stuff you have to do wears you out and you need some strength, then you must be in prayer. It's got to be the number one priority. It's got to be happening in the administrator's office, first of all. Our institutions ought to be fortresses of prayer. It's a radical suggestion to make, though. And the reason it's always a radical suggestion to make is that prayer is the great equalizer. Prayer is that which bro breaks down all those barriers that we have inside an institution, between people inside that institution. Because if you're sitting in a room as a principal, with your number one delinquent here, and you say to that child, let's pray, what do you have in that room? You have two sinners before the throne of God seeking his mercy. You have two equals seeking the will of God before his face. And that's not easy to give, and it's not easy to take. But it simply must be done. And it must infiltrate all systems, because when it does, you have mercy abound. We have forgiveness abounding, real forgiveness. We have the presence of God. We have salvation. We have angels singing. Why? Because kids score 1350 on the SAT? That only gets one chorus by an angel. What's going to bring those angels to their feet is when that child realizes that there is a God who loves him and her. Brings courage. Prayer brings courage into your classroom and into your school. It brings a message to Mother Missouri out there, those of you from Missouri. The message that there is a powerful piety that does produce and will not be denied. Last weekend we went on a uh, youth retreat with our kids, which is a clergy way to see you do this thing for 180 days. We try to get it over within two days on the retreat. Uh, and we took up 15 road warriors up to uh, up, upstate New York. When we got there, I, I was learning, well, most, mostly boys, I was learning something about high school. What does a high school boy do who's not a job, besides girls? Uh, what's he involved with, see? What are they up to? And, and one thing is, is loud noises, which you can move from channel to channel, and they call it music, but it's just loud noises. Uh, the other thing that some of them are into, which I had never known I would have any connection with in my life, is a thing called ninja warriors. 
Now, the Ninja Warrior thing is done on 42nd. You want to see some of those movies? That's where they are. The Ninja Warrior is a kid who dresses up all in black and puts on a mask over his head and then spends the whole weekend finding staircases and doorways and jumping out in front of people going, like this. <laughs> My finger can penetrate your stomach. <laughs> And uh, out of nowhere, this is this is the job of the Ninja Warrior. So uh, I had I had two of these for the weekend, <laughs> all dressed up with nowhere to go but our cabin. You know? <laughs> there they came, and uh, the one kid in particular, you feel like you're after a while, and that you're like you're in a Peter Sellers movie. You know what I mean? was always coming after. And you go through every doorway, and you're like this. <laughs> And, uh, you know, somebody comes in from the outside, the camp director, and something wrong? No, no, it's a little strange. Anyway, all weekend I'm trying to reach Ninja Warriors and make them into Ninja Lutheran. I'm not understanding what makes them tick, but getting closer to them. And while we were there, we met the uh, daughter of the camp director, a girl named Stacy, who had spina bifida. So she's uh, not able to, not able to use her legs, and just they just kind of brought her out on a on a sled. She brought herself out on a sled to be with us and to talk. A beautiful, unbelievable, beautiful Christian girl, high school student, and they all got to know one another. And so we worshipped together on Sunday morning. And I said, "Well, now's the time for prayer. And if you have anything to pray about, prayer of thanks, a prayer of mercy, prayer for help, you just pray the prayer, and then we'll say thank you, Lord, or help us, Lord, or whatever." comes to the group. So we waited and kids were praying real beautiful prayers. And then there was a silence and all of a sudden from the, the ninja warrior came the prayer, Lord, the next time we come here, let Stacy be on his feet and let her be walking and riding with us. And you know, we couldn't go on with the meeting for the prayers because all the adults were crying. <laughs> and, uh, and then we did. And it's a, a, a moment that I will never forget because there was my ninja Lutheran now, uh, active in prayer. And I said, "What? Why did you do that? You know, it, it just took us all back. Because, you know why? Because it was a prayer that us adults would have loved to pray but didn't have the courage to pray. It was the kind of prayer that we as adults give up on. And yet it was the kind of prayer that." It was passionate about prayer in that way. And you're passionate about prizing the prize. And you're passionate about organizing behind the love that you feel. Then maybe there won't be any cameras, and maybe there won't be any media coverage, but maybe a heart or a mind, by the grace of God, will be convinced that Jesus lives. And boy, that has a, a significance that is not just Vista International, that's Vista Cosmic. That's my vision for the schools and secondary education. Thank you. Tonight I forgot to read the introduction 
to Dr. Fahey that he had so laboriously written out for me. <laughs> but as you say, on an occasion like that, he needs no introduction. <laughs> and suffice it to say that he is the moving force behind the Nehemiah Project that helps administer it for the Missouri Senate. And now we come to announcements by Dr. Fred Hintz. I hope, Fred, that you're getting your money's worth for this job. So will you come up now and honor us with announcements? Oh, 
tomorrow morning also, boy, we're saving money, okay? Uh, there is a spouse's informal breakfast uh, with Dorothy Lang as host this tomorrow morning in room 54344. Oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> 54344. That's the Valpo room. And uh, you come there between 730 and 830 and coffee and cheese. You bake some rolls back in Valpo, bottom on it. A little cream from Racine, I heard. Uh -huh. Okay. So that, and I understand you got room for five guys, too. <laughs> Something like that. That's right. Yeah, five, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, so uh, that's tomorrow morning. It's an informal thing uh, uh, sponsored by Hoping by Dorothy Lines and Valpo. Uh, if you look in your literature, you will see that we have the 21st floor here has a fitness center. And uh, it's a fine place. It's free. Show your key, and on the weekend, just so you pick that little note we had to write in there, all the exercising equipment is free too. During the week, I think it's 10 bucks. So they put almost everything at our disposal for you to go up there whenever you wish. 21st floor. And uh, finally, I'd uh, like to introduce a gentleman here quickly by the name of Reverend Clarence Roth, and I'll tell you why he's here in a second. Clarence, you want to stand up, please? Yet, 
We're running out of time. That one minute to go. See me after the program. I'll take care of it. Someone else has also truly said that if all the Toastmasters in the world calculated this, if all the Toastmasters were made end to end, it would be a good thing. <laughs> I called yesterday, I almost was late and <laughs> I'd like to say something again seriously at the end in uh, keeping with what I mentioned before, because I represent the classroom teachers here this evening. I scrupulously avoided all administrative duties in my 40 years after a year and a half as an administrator in the Panhandle of Oklahoma. I didn't take any administrative courses in graduate school, and I've always thanked the Lord for that. <laughs> and teachers, it is possible to make a living without being an administrator. Coming from California, we were on the plane, and the pilot came on, and he said, folks, I have good news, and I have bad news. The good news is we have a 200-mile-an-hour tailwind. The bad news is we're lost. <laughs> Not only do we need to use the entire runway, and some of our Lutheran runways aren't any all too long the way it is, like landing at LaGuardia, or even worse at Denver, which pilots, you know, have voted the worst airport in the nation for diving into. <laughs> let's use the entire runway, and let's make sure that story of Jesus Christ is in every classroom, that we're not just running a Sunday school in addition to a secular school. And Dr. Fainke did such a wonderful job of elucidating that, I want to put only a little postscript on it, a little catchphrase that is really and truly something I heard from a Nobel Prize winner in physics. Some years ago, I was given the opportunity of traveling the world to interview the world's leading scientists about their religion. As some of you may know, and if you don't, I'll give you a free copy. The book is out of print now, called <laughs> the, God, the God of Science. Well, Dr. Walter Bratton, who was one of the three people to receive the Nobel Prize for inventing the transistor, told me at a Nobel conference at Gustavus Adolphus College some years ago, when you go into your classroom, he said, in science particularly, please tell your students on the first day that there are two kinds of questions in the world. How questions and why questions. How questions we deal with in the science classroom. How does a ball fall to the ground? What makes it have the acceleration that it does? But there are other questions, he said. Questions that begin with why. Why is there such a thing as gravity that makes the ball accelerate? Why is there an earth on which to test gravity in the first place? Why are we on this earth? Tell your students, he said, public or private school alike, that whenever there's a why question, it only has one answer, and that is, God only knows. And if you want to know the answer to a why question, you ask God, and you read his word. Let's not be timid about that in our schools. Let's not fight the God of the cats battle. 
because the gap is bigger and bigger and bigger and the world is crying for the witness that we have had all these years. People who know that all the things we learn in all the disciplines in our schools are only tentative answers to how questions, that not one of them can answer the why question without the word of God. That is our challenge. That is our opportunity. If we don't use it, we'll lose it. And with that, I'd like to call on Pastor Fink for the closing prayer. And say that although I guess it would be good to lay off taskmasters, uh, yeah, taskmasters, <laughs> toastmasters, and, and <laughs> we, we, we do need to, to give our thanks to you, Fred, for leading us through this. this uh, never done before and may never do again and declared him a first vice president emeritus of the Atlantic District. So he holds that distinction quite an honor and it's always good to be with my friend Clarence. And one final introduction before we pray and that's the, I did want to introduce to you a person who's very important to me personally. Uh, she is the real president of the Atlantic District and uh, does all the work of the president of the Atlantic District, my secretary. Ben Herbert happens to be her husband, uh, Jeanette Herbert. Jeanette, will you stand? I hope that, I know you've had a busy day. I hope that having toured some of our ministries and having heard the inspiration uh, given to us by David tonight, who was also a vice president of this district, having heard Fred, that you will know for certain that when it comes to the Lord's cause in this part of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we in the Atlantic District really do mean business. And we are blessed by your presence here and ask God to bless what we will be doing here in these days ahead. And we stand for closing. You join me, uh, you want to sing? How about the first and last of abide with me? How about holding hands? Abide with me.
for the conviction and the courage of faith. Truly convinced that our gracious God would have us do good unto all people, that he would have us help the suffering, support the weak, and that he would have us love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to that end, the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. That's the rule number. That's the rule number. That's the rule.